On this week's show, one of the biggest artists of 2003 is back. Yes, that's right. The fast food rockers have released their follow-up, Say Cheese, Smile Please. Oh, and also, one of the Destiny's Child girlies has another song out. Good luck with that. Here's the 2000s chart show. The 2000s chart show. The 2000s chart show. That's right, this is the 2000s Chart Show, the podcast where every week we revisit the UK Top 40 from 20 years ago. I am your host, Samuel Spencer, and you have just heard our number 40 hit this week, Sunshine by Gareth Gates, down from 27 in its fifth week, not matching up to the huge success of his earlier hits, but still in my view, a soft banger. Gareth Gates kicking off a chart that this week has 14 new entries, including... New songs from Blondie, Beyonce, B2K, The Coral, Scooter, and Blur and Suede. A little mini 90s Britpop chart battle there happening about six years too late. So all of this was happening on the UK charts 20 years ago when there was an absolutely massive development in the UK charts, which we've been teasing for the last few weeks. On October the 16th, Apple announced the availability of iTunes for Windows, a significant development in the history of digital music. Unfortunately, it's a development that makes the UK Top 40 increasingly irrelevant. We're going to see CD single sales continue to dwindle. They try and fix it with the download chart. That kind of does it for a bit, and then streaming comes along and ruins the chart for all time. But let's just pretend none of that ever happened and stay in 2003. This week, the release of iTunes was not the only massive development in the history of pop music because we had the Simic release of the CD Grease Mania. That's right, the ITV1 special in which despite the fact that it wasn't actually an anniversary of Grease, they just decided they were going to get a load of modern pop stars to sing songs from it. This was the iconic TV event that gave us the cheeky girls singing We Go Together. We go together like... Lisa Scott Lee singing what's in my opinion the best song from Greece. There are worse things I could do. There are worse things I could do. And also gave us Girls Aloud's cover of Greece. Greece is the word. Which, I have to say, secretly one of their best B-sides. I wonder if anyone agrees with me out there. In fact, it's worth just actually going through the entire track listing of this. You can search some of these for yourself. So Gareth Gates starts the things by singing Grease. And then we have the absolute power team of Jonathan Wilkes and Saran Jones. I presume maybe they were touring with Grease at the time. Singing Summer Nights. We have Girls Aloud singing Hopelessly Devoted to You. Something called Various singing You're the One That I Want. So the CD that I have here doesn't actually tell us who's singing on that. Incredibly useful. Darius sings Sandy. Tony Hadley, him of Spandau Ballet, sings Beauty School Dropout. Sarah Watmore, remember her, sings Look At Me, I'm Sandra D. Westlife sing Grease Lightning. We might have to hear a bit of that. That sounds like a car crash. Grease Lightning, you're 
Fetish Club 8 sing Tears on My Pillow. Samantha Mumba sings Blue Moon. And then Lisa Scott Lee, there are worse things I could do. The Cheeky Girls We Go Together. And finally, Girls Aloud with Grease. What a time to be alive. Smash hits at the time reported from the filming of the Grease Mania TV special. We went to the recording of the Grease Mania TV special and spotted Sarah Girls Aloud teaching Gareth how to do the dance to the You're the One That I Want. Meanwhile, Nadine spent the day in the loo. She was so poorly, the studio had to call a nurse for her. It might just be my brain rotted, but every time I hear that a pop star spent the day in the toilet, let's just say I don't think illness straight away. This wasn't the only seismic bit of news that Smash Hits was breaking this week, because this is also the week in which Smash Hits first mentions McFly. They write, weird, it was just over a year ago that Busted was celebrating their first UK hit, What I Go To School For. Now they're so successful, they're introducing us to a new band of their own. The Nun 2 Ugly McFly. It also has this line, which I love. The new boys are being kept under wraps until next year, so we can't show you a pic just yet. Okay. This does sound crazy now, but really I do remember every kind of pop TV show and magazine being like, McFly, McFly, McFly are coming. Guys, you need to be careful. McFly are on their way. And they did, I think, actually maybe live up to the hype a little bit. I did not know this until I read this piece. Dougie from McFly was 15 at this point and just about to become a huge star. But we won't get their picture for a few weeks and we're not going to talk about them for a few months. Instead, we're going to talk about this week's number 39 down from 34 in its eighth week. So doing very well, Lamar with Dance With You. The sounds of the birds and the bees Bringing you to your knees is all I want to do consider Lamar quite a nice guy but there's going to be some shadiness afoot soon because I've had a look at the future charts and he released his next single as a Fame Academy runner-up on the same day that the Fame Academy season two winner Alex Parks releases hers so we can keep listening to find out which one of those is going to win the battle of the Fame Academies but for now at 38 down from 29 in its seventh week Like Glue by Sean Paul can they want big up them chest? But they don't know that to go put the area to that's the best. I wouldn't they love it's a sound of all this. When I get up in a guy, I only girls we are request of Jimmy Gallem. Yo, in every minute, I'm with it figure. Sean Paul looking like he's gonna totally dominate this chart because this is gonna be the first of three songs that he features on this week. Here he is singing Like Glue, but he also, of course, duetting with Blue Cantrell on former number one Breathe. And also this week, him and Beyonce have teamed up for her follow-up to Crazy in Love, Baby Boy. So he really is uh, sticking to this chart like glue. Ha ha. At 37 now, Nelly, P. Diddy, Murphy Lee, Shake Your Tail Feather. down from 26 and at 36 milk and sugar robert pattinson's sister lizzie pattinson would let the sunshine in sunshine, 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 sunshine. 
us to the first of our 14 new entries, which is a genuine first for us, this song, actually. I'm quite excited. This is the first song that we've had on this chart so far that basically doesn't exist on the internet at all. You can find a weird mashup version of it, but the radio edit is nowhere to be found of this song online, which means I'm going to have to buy the CD for this tragic... I was going to say one-hit wonder, but not even that, because can you call coming in at 35 a hit? Not really. Luckily, this song was also the soundtrack to an Asda ad around this time, and so here it is. Who's the Daddy by Lovebug, as heard on the Georgia Asda campaign in 2003. Even this ad, by the way, is hard to find. I had to find it in the middle of an advert compilation. It doesn't even have its own entry, which is good because it saves you from having to watch it. So basically the premise of this ad is there's a lot of kids in a playground in their school uniforms. Obviously it's now October. This song would have been in the back to school. Georgia Asda campaign, I imagine. But all of these kids, every time the song says, who's the daddy, it will be some like nine-year-old mouthing it to a nine-year-old girl, which is probably fine at the time. People just being like, oh yeah, who's the daddy? That's what you say when you're like a cool guy. But now that has very strong sexual overtones, this advert is increasingly disturbing. No wonder no one's felt the need to upload it onto YouTube. I say that the word daddy didn't have sexual overtones in 2003, but apparently, according to a Washington Post article, the sexual use of the word daddy dates at least as far back as 1681, when the Random House Historical Dictionary of American Slang cited the earliest use of the phrase by prostitutes referring to pimps and older customers. Then the phrase sugar daddy was first used in 1922. And then who's the daddy was having a bit of a pop cultural moment in the early 2000s. There was a 2002 Toby Keith song called Who's Your Daddy? Everything is written inside for you. You know I got it. Come and get it. Who's your daddy? Who's your baby? UK listeners thankfully may not know Toby Keith's work. Put your name at the top of his list And the Statue of Liberty started shaking her fist Red Solo Cup I fill you up Let's have a party So there, a little bit of Toby Keith's oeuvre for you. You're welcome. And around this time also, it was the name of a TV show in America in which a woman separated from her father at birth attempted to identify him from a lineup. A TV show that many have called the worst reality TV show of all time. And that's quite a statement in a world in which I Want to Marry Harry exists. So I'd love to tell you more about who Lovebug are, the artists who are doing Who's the Daddy here. But I, this song barely exists, so I can't find any information about them. I can tell you, however, that Dr. Fox, the host of the Pepsi chart show in 2003, the third best chart show behind Top of the Pops and CD UK, gave it two stars, two Dr. Fox heads in Smash Hits, and said... I've had enough. I actually hate this record. I think it's really dull. It's such a rip-off of so many things. It's a bit like Addicted to Bass, but not as good. Um, is it? Okay. I know it's a holiday song, but it's not a good radio song. It's dull. And then Smash Hit said, it's trashy, tacky, 
and we've been singing it while doing the saucy dance around the office. What that saucy dance is, I have no idea because no one has uploaded the video. Onto YouTube. The reviewer at the Manchester Evening News, meanwhile, said, They look like D-Light and sing like any number of disposable dance wannabes. They call the single Who's the Daddy, but they are the mother of all irritations. The same old tired idea of a couple of funky guys backing a sexy gal as she sings a naff disco tune. It'll no doubt go straight in at number one. Well, for once, the British record-buying public's taste has held out because Lovebug is stuck here at 35. So Who's That Daddy? A very kind of tackily sexual song. So it's a perfect match with another deeply tacky chat-up line-based song at 34, down from 23 in its fourth week, Senorita by Justin Timberlake. Seen those bright brown eyes With tears coming down so he said to himself. She deserves a crown But where is it now? Mama, listen Pipping Justin Timberlake at the post at 33. Our next new entry, Coma Girl by Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros. Those of you more up on your music history may remember that Joe Strummer, best known as the lead singer of The Clash, a band that had 17 UK top 40s in the 70s and 80s, including one UK number one when their song Should I Stay or Should I Go was used in a Levi's advert in March 1991 and got to number one soon afterwards. Joe Strummer, fascinating life, born in Turkey to an English mother and Scottish father and went to one of London's top private schools thanks to his dad's job in the foreign service. Joe Strummer said of this, I was left on my own and went to this school where thick rich people sent their thick rich kids. Another perk of my father's job. It was a job with a lot of perks. All the fees were paid by the government. He was affected early in his life by his the suicide of his brother. Strummer said, Funnily enough, you know, he was a Nazi. He was a member of the National Front. He was into the occult and he used to have these death heads and crossbones all over everything. He didn't like to talk to anybody and I think suicide was the only way out for him. What else could he have done? Things seemed equally hopeless for Joe Strummer at the start of his life. He worked as a gravedigger before forming The Clash, but then, of course, found fame as one of the members of the iconic punk band. They were consistently critically acclaimed in the 70s, but things started to fall apart by the early 1980s when they had to fire their drummer, Topper Head-On, for heroin addiction. And then in 1983, they got rid of their second member by just simply sending out a pretty shady press release that read, Joe Strummer and Paul Simmons have decided that Mick Jones should leave The Clash. It is felt that Jones drifted away from the original idea of the group. The Clash continued without him as a two-piece for one album, which was called Cut the Crap. And maybe it's advice they should have taken themselves because Q Magazine once called Cut the Crap by The Clash the 21st worst album of all time, sandwiched in between Glitter by Mariah Carey, Rude, and Robson and Jerome by Robson and Jerome, which, fair enough. Joe Strummer spent the next eight years in legal wranglings with his record label, and then joined the Mescaleros, which is not the name of Paul Mescal's fan club, but instead Joe Strummer's second band, which included Robbie Williams' drummer. So I wonder who was uh, more difficult to work with, Joe Strummer or 
Robbie Williams. They released three albums from 1999 to 2003, but unfortunately, on the 22nd of December 2002, Joe Strummer died of a heart attack due to a undetected congenital heart problem. So this chart placement is Joe Strummer fans paying their last respects to one of the greats of punk rock music. And so how fitting that he was beaten in the charts by one of the craziest, most raucous bands to ever have lived. The spirit of punk is not dead because Hey Whatever by Westlife is at number 32, down from 19 in its fourth week on the chart. Thirty-one. We have B2K, a new entry. Aha, two thousand and three. Enemy said of this song, B2K have the Latino thing going on, and while Aha 2003 is spectacularly unimaginative, it does at least sound like those involved have fully functioning genitals. Perhaps Suede could write a song about them. We will explain what that means a little bit later on. But this is, of course, the return of B2K, the best-named artists of R&B, because don't forget that the members of B2K are Lil Fizz, Jay Boog, Razby, and Omerian. The reason this song is called Aha 2003 is because the song Aha was first released in the US in 2001 and is now being re-released trying to capitalise on the fact that the B2K songs Bump 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 and Girlfriend had got to number 11 and number 10 in the UK charts, although clearly this one not able to match them. Because at this point, B2K already pretty much running on fumes. They released three albums in 2002. First, the album B2K in March. They got to the lofty heights of 186 on the UK album charts. Then the America-only Christmas album, the spectacularly named Santa Hooked Me Up. And then that was in October. And then in December 2002, quite why those two weren't swapped around, I don't know. They released their final album, Pandemonium, with an exclamation mark. That got to number 35 in the UK and number 10 in the US. But who cares about that when we have Santa Hooked Me Up, which gave us... Such classic songs as Sexy Boy Christmas and, of course, the title track, Santa Hooked Me Up. Is this Christmas Eve? I'm trying to kick it on the couch. You better not power. You better not cry. You better not shout. I'm telling you why. Cause Jay Book's gonna freak you As I've said, by 2003, especially by this point in 2003, B2K pretty much finished. They would split up in January 2004, soon after making the dance drama You Got Served. They were the best of friends. I know you better than anybody. I know when you're tripping. What's up? I'm not like you, B. I can't just sit around and dream. Their crew was unstoppable. We just got a $5,000 challenge from some rich kid out of Orange County. <laughs> Suckers got served. At the time, Lil Fizz, Rasby, and Jay Boog 
just saying those names fills me with such pleasure, issued a joint statement confirming the end of their professional relationship with their manager and said they just wanted to be treated fairly. Omarion, meanwhile, would remain under their manager's management and pursue a solo career. You can keep listening to see if that makes any dent on the UK charts. Spoiler alert, it doesn't. Quite why B2K broke up has never been fully established, although we may have got an answer closer to the truth in September 2022 when Lil Fizz said on a podcast that B2K broke up because he was intimate with a woman that Omarion liked. He basically said they already had a lot of issues with their manager and they wanted to renegotiate their contracts. A classic tale of a boy band feeling they're being exploited after getting a lot of success and criticising their managers for underpaying them. And then this basically led to a big meeting where kind of everything was put on the table, including the fact that Lil Fizz had been having sex with a woman that Omarion liked. Although this isn't quite how Lil Fizz put it. His style is inimitable. I was like, man, I was smashing. I was smashing old girl the whole tour. <sighs> I really liked her, bro. <sighs> <sighs> And I'm like, bro, that's not your girl. Like, what's up? You cool? So there we go. A little bit of jigginess, meaning that B2K are no more. Although I'm sure they're doing the nostalgia circuit in the US now. So you may think that because they broke up in January 2004, this may be the last time that we're seeing B2K on the UK charts, but it is not, in fact. They actually released one more single in the UK, which came out two months after they broke up. And you've got to love that. The early internet age where a band could fully have broken up and you could just still release singles and no one would be any the wiser in the UK. Incredible. So B2K in their penultimate time on the UK charts. They're at 31. And at 30, here is Can't Hold Us Down by Christina Aguilera featuring Lil' Kim. If a guy have three girls, then he's the man. He could even give us some head and sex or roar. If a girl do the same, then she's a whore. But the table's about to turn, I bet my fame... Christina there, down from 21 in her fifth week on the chart. And just behind at 29, a controversial song from last week's chart. Down from 16, Where the Hood At by DMX. This time, 20 years ago, Enemy got right into the subject of why that song was so controversial. In their mini-review for the song, they wrote, My goodness, shit actor DMX has a problem with homosexuals. How you gonna explain fucking a man, he growls on Weatherhood at. Yet he spends his entire life wearing a tight vest, surrounded by clone-like men. But he's not gay, okay? Now, progressive of them to point out that the lyrics, as we discussed last week for DMX's Weatherhood at, are homophobic but they are still 2003 so in pointing out someone else's homophobia they have to have their own homophobia that says that anyone who wears a tight vest is gay what a time capsule for this era and really that's all we're trying to achieve even if the only way to get there is to explore the era's homophobia luckily our number 28 new entry this week is less homophobic Although, as I will argue, it it may be implicitly homophobic. But let's hear it first. Paul Van Dyke featuring Vega 4 with Time of Our Lives slash Connected. Van Dyke there, 
for regular listeners who want to guess which European country this DJ is from and whether Paul Van Dyke is in fact his real name, the answers are Germany and no. His real name is Matthias Paul, which is a pretty serviceable DJ name. I'm not sure that Paul Van Dyke is necessarily better, but clearly he thought it was. And who am I to argue when Paul Van Dyke has had seven UK top 40s, of which this is the final one. So the last time we'll be talking about Paul Van Dyke. His peak came in May 2000 with his song Tell Me Why the Riddle. That was with the cult British band Saint Etienne, but this time he is with a less successful British band, Vega 4. They were a British alternative rock band whose lead singer was a man called Johnny McDade. Now, we haven't had an enemy of the podcast for a while, but definitely Johnny McDade is entering the enemy of the podcast camp because he has since become a songwriter after stopping Vega 4. Among his credits are Ed Sheeran's Shape of You, Galway Girl, of which the less said, the better. Pink's What About Us and another Ed Sheeran song, Bad Habits, which is the song which, for legal reasons, I'm saying is definitely not... I repeat, not just a rip-off of Small Town Boy by Bronski Beat. Just like I'm saying, for legal reasons, that Time of Our Lives by Paul Van Dyke is definitely not, not, a rip-off of Wicked Game by Chris Isaac. If writing songs for Ed Sheeran wasn't homophobic enough, he also is a member of Snow Patrol, a band that people will tell you were good once, and those people, of course, are liars. Although the song Run, I do have a soft spot for. There was a very formative moment in my childhood once where I was given £10 to go and buy the CD I wanted, and the choices that I was choosing between were the first Sisters album, the first Franz Ferdinand album, and the album Final Straw by Snow Patrol. And let's just say if I had picked the Snow Patrol album and not the Scissor Sisters one, my life would have gone very differently. So if anyone wants to do Sliding Doors 2, I am available. By the way, if Time of Our Lives sounds familiar to you, that's because it was featured in a Jeep commercial in May 2007, and also the film The Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants. So if you've travelled along with those pants, you'll know Time of Our Lives by Paul Van Dyke. So he is at 28, behind at 27 in its 10th week on the chart, which makes it the second longest running chart run this week. Down from 20, Pretty Green Eyes by Ultra Beat. Ultra Beat there and at 26, the second single of a band that is barely hanging on at this point. They've just fired their lead guitarist in a lot of acrimony. Eventually, Amy Lee would go on to pretty much replace the entire band. But for now, the original lineup is just about still standing for Going Under by Evanescence, down from 14 in its third week on the chart.
Our next new entry now at 25, The Coral with Secret Kiss. Though the seasons of this song the coral continued to astound with secret kiss wherein the dear stalker wearers proved that there is more to their canon than just a good dressing up box who could fail to be charmed by this song's beautifully imagined monster movie atmospherics seemingly beamed in from an early 60s dancehall stuck forever in the week before every group in the country decided to stop being different and start being like the beatles the website play louder had a less positive take on the coral They put their album Magic and Medicine, from which Secret Kiss comes from, as their fifth worst album of 2003, calling it Druggy Scousers playing fucking old fogies music. Ugh, what a golden time of criticism 2003 was. By the way, if you're wondering where all these magazine quotes are coming from, we've had Smash Hits and Enemy this week. I finally had the chance this week to go to the British Library magazine archives. British Library legally has to have a copy of every book and magazine published in the UK. So, you know, all those bad unauthorised annuals for like Blue and the Sugar Babes, they're all there. The Fame Academy tie-in book, they've probably got to have that. And they have every magazine printed in the UK, including an archive of smash hits, Top of the Pops magazine and Enemy, which I ploughed through on Saturday. Very fun sitting next to someone doing serious medieval research for some historical essay and there's me flicking through all issues of smash hits in my sparkly top a lovely way to spend a saturday this i did not find this at the british library but luckily manchester evening news for some reason has put all of their single reviews online which is a great resource and here's what they said about secret kiss bouncing out of the stereo like a seaside showpiece all wurlitzer chimes and rhyming couplets Secret Kiss is the follow-up to the Radio Swamped Pass It On. Incredibly, the Scouse Five Piece, who are all under the tender age of 23, rude of them, now that was me saying that, not this reviewer, now find themselves in a position where they can release a track which would have been an album filler for others simply because they like it. Their success on tour, plus their impressive work rate, means that they now have the power to do this. Although not as instant as Pass It On or Dreaming Of You, it is more of an indicator to the band's blues and West Coast influences than any of them. One in the eye for bands versus radio edits and record company power, it would seem. Not really one in the eye for the record labels, because prior to this, they had been on an upward trajectory through the charts. Their first single, the brilliantly titled Goodbye, which is sadly not a Spice Girls cover, got to number 21, and then Dreaming of You, number 13, Don't Think You're the First, number 10, and then Pass It On, got to number 5 in July 2003, as we discussed at the time, and now 25. So yeah, great, you chose the song that you liked from the album, and no one cared. So great job, The Coral. They spent most of this year touring with First Blur, and then Supergrass, so really trying to get in on those Britpop fans. But this week, these Britpop fans have actually decided to support actual Britpop because Blur have charted ahead of them this week. We will soon find out exactly how far from the Coral they have. And in future weeks, we will talk about the Coral again because this is only the fifth of their eight top 40s, even though there is really nothing interesting to say to the Coral other than that they make music that's quite pleasant. Damning with faint praise there. Talking to someone who makes music that is just faintly pleasant. At 24, down for 13 in its third week, Innocent Eyes by Delta Goodrum. You wanted to do was show your mom that you could play the piano ten years have passed. And the one thing that will last is that same old song that we played alone and made. 
Although I have to say, I actually love this song. I love the drama of it and the the 70 you could play the piano don't know there's something camp about that in my opinion unlike the least camp song ever made at number 23 down from 15 in its fourth week someday by nickelback That nearly takes us out of the 20s. But first, we mentioned them earlier. They are now charting three places above their former tour mates. This is Good Song by Blur. Is it a good song? I think we'll be the judges of that, Damon. enough pretty good song in previous episodes when we covered blur's song crazy beat we went into the difficult time for blur during the making of this album think tank basically their guitarist graham coxon had a nervous breakdown and they decided to continue with this album which a lot of people didn't like at the time but i think is a secret masterpiece but certainly it spelled the end of blur for a bit they would not release another single after Good Song until 2010, when Graham Coxon would rejoin the band. But certainly, this is not the last we'll be hearing of Damon Albarn. At this point, he was working on, according to Enemy, three new projects. The second Gorillaz album, which we will talk about, I think, 2005, that comes out. And then two projects that never saw the light of day. Another Marley music album to follow up on his album with Marley and Musicians in 2002. And another Blur album. So Blur not to release another single for seven years some could say it was because they didn't want to continue without the guitarist that had been a fundamental part of their sound but other ones might say that they had a pissy fit after getting beaten in this week's uk chart by suede we will see how much suede beat them by very shortly but we will have lots of chances to talk about damon Albarn as we go on and he's quite the character but we had what we didn't mention last time we mentioned the album think tank and its singles is that all of the album and single art for this campaign was done by the famous street artist banksy now i know there's a lot of people out there who spent years trying to work out banksy's identity and i think they have missed a vital source okay i know some people who've worked with damon Albarn over the years and let's just say he's a man who likes the sesh and so i think if you bought damon Albarn enough drinks he would almost certainly tell you who banksy was that's if he i presume he had to deal with him to commission these single covers so he definitely knows and i think you could buy him enough things that he would tell you so yeah try that out banksy spotters banksy himself got some criticism for doing a commercial job such as this for which he got paid seventy-five thousand pounds but he said in response i've done a few things to pay the bills oh no sorry 
Banksy's a Bristol guy, isn't he? So we must reflect that. Oh, you've done a few things to pee the bills. No, you did the Blur album. It was a good record, and the commission was quite a lot of money. I think that's a really important distinction to make. If it's something you actually believe in, doing something commercial doesn't turn it to shit just because it's commercial. Otherwise, you've got to be a socialist rejecting capitalism altogether. Because the idea that you can marry a quality product with a quality visual and be part of that, even though it's capitalistic, is sometimes a contradiction you can't live with. But sometimes it's pretty symbolic, like the Blur situation. So there you go. The fact that, by the way, Banksy did all of the covers for Think Tank on a wall near a travellers camp in East London and some of them were taken by those travellers and sold and some of them were sold from other people at auction. And of course, the fact that he did this Blur Commission has led some to speculate that Banksy may be someone close to the band Blur. For example, there is a Reddit post from nine months ago that speculates that Damon Albarn himself is Banksy. He says, Banksy's biggest influence is Robert, aka 3D from the UK band Massive Attack, another person who's often cited as maybe the identity of Banksy. Damon, who was the lead singer of Gorillaz, was the lead singer of Blur in the 1990s. I believe Damon met 3D from rock venues in London in the 90s. Since 3D is a graffiti artist and activist, it makes sense Damon would look up to him as a big influence, just like Banksy's. Around that time, Banksy changed his art style to stencil art like 3D's graffiti style because Damon is an art major as well and a long-time activist. That is why he named his first gorilla character 2D after his Banksy influence of 3D. I have to tell you, not to be rude to XX Black Coot XXXX on Reddit, but that is the most tenuous argument I've ever heard. More convincing is that Banksy could be Damon Albarn's collaborator on Gorillaz, Jamie Hewlett. There was a story in the Bristol Post that claimed that he unearthed using company's house data that every company known to be connected to Banksy was associated with someone called Jay Hewlett. This led to a publicist for Banksy saying, I can confirm that Jamie Hewlett is not the artist Banksy. However, the plot thickens because in that email, they spelt Jamie Hewlett, H-E-W-L-I-T-T, and Jamie Hewlett spells his name, H-E-W-L-E-T-T. So this could be a publicist being tricksy by telling you the truth that someone called Jamie Hewlett with an I is not Banksy, and not confirming or denying whether Jamie Hewlett with an E is Banksy, or it could be just a typo. So, but that isn't the only slight bit of evidence around Jamie Hewlett being Banksy. One of Banksy's gorilla logos featured in the background of the Clint Eastwood video by the gorillas. And also Jamie Hewlett is from Horsham in Sussex, which is one of the places where Banksy has done work. And as someone who has family in Horsham, there's literally no reason to go there unless you live there. So I think that's quite good convincing evidence. But as I said, someone needs to ask Damon because I'm sure if you hooked him up, he would definitely spill the beans. So please report back to me if anyone manages to confirm from Damon Albarn who Banksy is. But for now, we're going to move on to the end of the 20s. At 21, Summer Jam by UD Project. And at 20, a new entry for the brilliantly named She Drove Me to Daytime Television by Funeral for a Friend.
Enemy said, Funeral for Friends seemed to get better with every release. She drove me to daytime television, veers between Dio-style Metal Diddly and Screamo Shout Frenzy. That is much the better for both. Certainly, there were people in the British hardcore scene who didn't think that. They were quite angry at Funeral for Friend for what they saw as selling out and getting top 40 singles. This was something that the members of Funeral for a Friend discussed in an interview with Enemy. They talk about being the victims of all manner of message board muck spread by faceless fanzines plotting their revenge. God, I'd, uh, I'd give a leg for Enemy still to write like that. But anyway, did you know vocalist Matt Davis Cray told Enemy, you know what? I like being called Hitler. And then Chris Coombs Roberts, who was their guitarist and backing vocalist, said, did you know that Matt is a fascist Nazi homophobe? Do you know he's a Satanist, cock-sucking corporate whore? He's had it all. However, the thing they got the most criticism for online was being Christian. This was also something that Enemy asked them about. Yes, I am a Christian, okay, said Matt. They said he blurted with a Hint of annoyance, but it's personal. Nothing relevant to the band at all. So there we go. Funeral for a friend in that difficult position for a band in which your fans make you popular and then get angry at you for being popular. But this, for now, does not stop their their popularity. Although She Drove Me to Daytime Television is one step under their previous hit, Juno, which got to number 19 in August 2003. They will have seven more UK Top 40s, reaching a peak of number 15 in June 2005. They also managed to have a number three album in May 2007. Not bad for Satanist cocksucking corporate whores. Maybe that's what I'll start calling my fans. And from (laughs) Satanist cocksucking corporate whores... I'm making no, absolutely no link to our number 19. Are you ready for love? Elton John, a former number one in its 16th week on the chart. longer than Pretty Green Eyes but let's not forget nine of those weeks were before now because of course this is a remix version of that song and now we are in the top 20 let's look at what is fighting for that number one spot Black Eyed Peas Where Is The Love has had five weeks at the top been pretty untouchable but six weeks is a long time and it could start to look a bit vulnerable especially because we have some big hitters trying for that number one Prime among them is, of course, Beyonce and Sean Paul. Crazy in Love, a big number one earlier this year. Now she's trying to match it with Baby Boy. A lot of the reviews of Baby Boy at the time, quite scathing, as we'll get into later. But it is a song that has endured the test of time. But did it get to number one? Well, we will find out. But also trying to get a top number one hit are the band Texas with their song Carnival Girl. They have had 17 UK top 40s at this point, but never a number one single. The closest they got to was in January 1997 with Say What You Want. That got to number three. They'd also had top 10 hits in the years since with Halo, In Our Lifetime, Summer Sun, In Demand, and In A Smile. Ooh, in their own way, bops. I don't think Carnival Girl is quite up there with the best of them, but that's, we know these charts are unpredictable, so that could still be enough to give them their first number one, but not if the fast food rockers have anything to do with it. A band that seemed destined to one-hit wonder status are proving that no, they at least have some more staying power 
than a stale old Big Mac hold for retching. Fast Food Song, of course, got to number two and spent 14 weeks in the top 100. We will see if Say Cheese Smile Please, do you get it? Because cheese, fast food, tenuous, but we'll allow it can beat fast food and get them to number one and then our last major competitor for that top 20 spot the strokes one of the most acclaimed bands of the early 2000s just when british indie was at its lowest there was a lot of excitement for what was happening in new york with the strokes this had so far not quite translated into chart success their songs hard to explain and last night got to 16 and 14 respectively in 2001 but there was a huge amount of anticipation for their second album room on fire which should get them at least into the top 10 and maybe get them to that top spot we will find out as we continue in into the top 20 but for now at 18 reoffender by travis Followed in this chart by at 17, Rubbernecking by Elvis Presley. our next new entry scooter versus arcadi pain and rules sure maria brackets i like it loud and when it comes to scooter i really don't listeners of the podcast will know when we have a lot of new entries on a UK top 40 as we do this week 14 there will always be one that I just inevitably cannot cannot find the strength to fully investigate and I think this week that's going to be I like it loud by Scooter there's a line on its Wikipedia page that really sums up for me why I just cannot bring myself to look into this but there's a whole paragraph which begins this song is also used by some football clubs to boost atmosphere in the stadium and then it just lists a load of football teams that use this song and that's exactly the problem this isn't dance music this is football stadium music this is dance music for people who don't like dancing and because of that this song is pointless a mental exercise for you you have the power to remove one band totally from existence who do you choose I'm not entirely sure but certainly Scooter would be on my shortlist. One thing I will say is that during the shooting of this video, the leasing of Scooter H.P. Baxter met his future wife. So good for them, I guess, although they did divorce in 2011, probably when she took a cold hard look in the mirror and realised she was married to the lead singer from Scooter. Can't really move on from that. But we can move on to that and on to one of my favourite songs on this top 40 and 
to look ahead a few places time. One of my favourite songs of all time is on this UK Top 40, which I will reveal when we get there. But for now, down from 10 in its second week on the chart, here is Under the Thumb by Amy Stutt. Number 14, we have the winners of this week's Six Years Too Late Britpop Battle, Suede, with their double A side Attitude slash Golden Gun. Attitude you heard there. Enemy had this to say. Would you believe it? Blur and Suede have singles out on the same day. Ten years ago, this would have been the stuff of the front pages. But now, well, it doesn't really matter. Because Blur have long since won all the battles anyone, including them, cared to start. Sadly, no one's told Brett Anderson, who is the lead singer of Suede, who is still writing songs like Attitude, wherein a pansexual deviant sits on the metro with love on her mind, intimate details of every kind, and marries them to a kind of sexless, funkless, indie disco Timberland. As I think that's what the enemy writer meant later when he compared Suede to B2K and said that at least B2K seemed to have functioning genitals. In fact, in general, the sexuality of Suede much mocked, I think fairly, because Brett Anderson, their singer, famously described himself in the 90s as a bisexual man who's never had a homosexual experience. Or to put it in the terms of the one of his singles from this week, he's a bisexual man who's never sucked a golden gun. Of course, a ridiculous thing to say, and no one owned him better for saying it than Suede's gay drummer Simon Gilbert, who came out describing himself as a bisexual man who's never had a heterosexual experience. Brilliant stuff there. By the way, talking about members of Suede, their lead bassist is a man called Matt Osman, who is in fact, and I didn't know this until just now, the brother of Richard Osman from Pointless. Whether he's had a homosexual experience or not, I doubt. Although who knows what was going on behind that Pointless table. This, by the way, is Suede's 19th and final UK Top 40. They never managed to have a number one, but did manage eight UK Top 10s, with their peak being their song Trash a top three hit in August 1996 and an absolute classic. Swayed, however, in in the doldrums a bit in 2003. This song was released to support their album A New Morning, which is pretty much universally considered amongst Swayed fans to be their worst album. And it's certainly their worst performing, being the only one of their studio albums not to hit the top 10. And in fact, it did not even get into the top 20 because it peaked at number 24 in October 2002. But although this is their last ever single, the band did reform in 2013 and have released a series of acclaimed albums since then. I saw them at the Sixth Music Festival in 2015, I think. And the 40-year-old Britpop fans in the audience were having the absolute time of their lives. So good on Suede. By the way, if you wonder what Brett Anderson has said about his famous 
bisexual who's never had a homosexual experience quote in an interview with the magazine August Man he said it was very clunky I was trying not to position myself anywhere sexually but ended up being put into this entire bisexual camp the whole point of it was trying to avoid those categories altogether I had misunderstood the way the media works there are no subtleties and you can't speak with nuance Musicians always do this. They blame the media for them being misquoted. Meanwhile, he said, I called myself a bisexual man and then got really angry when the media called me bisexual. How dare they? The trick to avoiding those categories altogether is not to talk in those categories. He said, he later adds, a sense of sexual fluidity was definitely something I was trying to capture and retrospectively, it does feel like our message then is incredibly current. I'm sorry, it's not sexual fluidity if you've only had sex with women. What you were trying to do is, like David Bowie before you, pretend to be bisexual so you would look a bit cooler and different from the other Britpop bands. You know, you can see when the chart's being dominated by the laddishness of Oasis, why saying you were bisexual might bring you a different fan base who are a bit sick of that. So there we go. Suede getting angry at us for putting them in boxes of sexuality and yet they've named their song Attitude, of course, after a famous gay magazine. But don't you dare mention that because then that's the media ignoring subtleties. I need to stop being furious at Suede now and go to number 13, Sean Paul's second entry on this chart and a former number one in its 11th week on the chart, the longest running song on this week's chart, Breathe. We need to let it breathe. So what's that supposed to be about, baby? Get free of the back with stuff acting crazy. Breathe. Feminist for all the good times daily. Why are you trying to pose like happy acting shady? You're only lonely when your homie ain't got a ride on no loot. Yeah. Uh-huh. Then comes the drama. Some other girl is claiming she's going out with you. And at number 12 this is a huge moment this is the one of my favorite songs in the world that i previewed earlier there are at this point in my life three things that i want to happen okay number one i want to get to see madonna without any of the songs spoilt for me i'm going tonight as i record this so hopefully that won't have happened number two i want henry and jordan from big brother to hook up okay and number three i want this song to get a much bigger platform than it's ever been given let's give it a fanfare One of my favourite songs of all time. This is Blondie with Good Boys. there with their last ever top 40 capping off a pretty flawless run in the UK top 40 charts the band has had six UK number ones Heart of Glass, Sunday Girl, Atomic, Call Me, The Tide Is High and Maria in January 1999 which at the time made Debbie Harry the lead singer of Blondie the oldest woman to have a UK number one she was she's about 53 and a half when that song got to number one and she held that record for nearly 25 years until it was beaten by quiz question for you who pause for effect Kate Bush who was 63 when last year her song Running Up That Hill got to number one. Technically, I would say that's cheating because 
it's the same song from when she was in her 30s. It just got to number one a lot later. So let's say that Debbie Harry is still the woman with the oldest voice to appear on a UK number one single. That would make her the fifth oldest chart topper in the UK behind Louis Armstrong, who was 66 when What a Wonderful World got to number one in 1968. Tom Jones, who was 68 when he appeared on the Gavin and Stacey Islands in the Stream in 2009. Elton John, who was 74 when he appeared on Sausage Rolls for Boxing Day or whatever the fuck that stupid fucking single's called. And, of course, the oldest number one single artist of all time, Captain Tom Moore, who was 100 years old in 2020. We won't go into uh, his family finances. Not... A 2003 nostalgia podcast, not really the place for that, maybe. So as I said, this is Blondie's last top 40 single. I think one of their best and a hugely underrated track. I think the main reason it's hugely underrated is that it's never been available on Spotify. The three Blondie albums from this period, No Exit from 98, Curse of Blondie 2003, which had Good Boys on, and 2011's Panic of Girls, all missing from Spotify with no idea about when they may come back. In 2019, there were forum posts that Blondie were working on deluxe remasters of these albums, but these have as yet not appeared, which is a great shame because the remix lineup on the Good Boys single, which I have, not to brag about a song that none of you know or care about, is quite the who's who of remixes. It includes remixes from Giorgio Moroder, Scissor Sisters and Peaches. But the main song, Good Boys, written by Debbie Harry, and Kevin Griffin, the lead singer of the American alternative rock band Better Than Ezra, but also getting a credit on this song is Brian May of my one of my least favourite bands, another band who would be on my shortlist of bands I would like to wipe off the face of the earth, Queen. The reason that Brian May gets a credit is because there is a rap section of Good Boys, which even I, a fan of this song, have to admit, does take some lyrical inspiration from the song We Will Rock You. Apparently, Queen threatened to sue, and so he gets a credit. Wouldn't be the first time that he leached off a gay icon. Okay, take that, Brian May. I just called you like a badger, which you would hate. So, very glad that we were able to talk about Blondie, one of my favourite bands. Debbie Harry is an absolute legend. All I can say is I recommend you listen to the later Blondie albums. There's some great stuff in there, especially which a song which I will play for you now, Blondie's 2014 cover of the song Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Relax, relax don't, do, don't it. do it When you want to suck it to it Great stuff and Good Boys remains a great song even if it wasn't quite able to get into the top 10 which would have made it their 12th UK top 10 single but unfortunately they were beaten by another song with the word boy in the title and very excitingly the first of two songs in this week's chart that are called Baby Boy this is you've guessed it Baby Boy by the band Big Brothers I keep it real with you, you keep on loving me, I keep on loving you, keep doing what you do, I feel your whole aura, and I can't wait to hook up again tomorrow, baby, what? My love for you, I won't let you go, I'll be 
Big Brothers there taking us to our top 10, which includes new singles from Beyonce, Fast Food Rockers, Strokes and Texas, and returning songs from Rachel Stevens, Jamelia, Dido, The Darkness, and Esclabate. And of course, last week's number one, Black Eyed Peas, Where Is The Love, trying for its sixth week on the top of the chart. If it gets to its sixth week, it would have had the longest duration number one since Cher with Believe 1998, which, by the way, before Kate Bush, made her the oldest woman to have a solo female number one. Of course, Blondie is a band, no matter what your aunt calls them. When she says she went to see Blondie, she was so great. Don't even get me started about that. I've been angry enough this week with Suede and all that. So which of our new entries has what it takes to beat the Black Eyed Peas? Well, here's one that didn't. Fast Food Rockers with Say Cheese, Smile Please at number 10. Absolutely canny bit of recycling there from Mike Stock, the creator of the Fast Food Rockers. He clearly was like, oh crap, Scooch didn't do as well as I thought they would. It's fine, we'll just package all their shitty songs together and uh, call it the Fast Food Rockers, but it'll be exactly the same thing. Very, very Scooch there, which obviously means seeing a Scooch itself is second-rate steps. This is therefore third-rate steps? Not quite the compliment you think, but that yes, that is in case you're wondering, Mike Stock of Stock Aiken and Waterman, responsible for 18 number ones in the UK and US. Songs like You Spin Me Round by Dead or Alive, a lot of the early Kylie stuff, and Never Gonna Give You Up by Rick Astley. Now doing the Fast Food Rockers. I'd like to say it's the most humiliating thing that Mike Stock ever did, but his next act that he tried to launch was The Sheilas, the singing women from the Sheilas Wheels series of adverts for Lady Insurance. By the way, in work the other day, we looked up what happened to Sheila's Wheels. You can still get your car insurance from there, but you can also get it from them now if you are a man. So don't tell the turfs about that. Here's what Mike Stock said about working with the Fast Food Rockers. For my sins, I did the Fast Food Rockers and we had a very, very big hit with them. That's what I mean. The, the Fast Food song is beneath the dignity of most writers, but I knew it was commercial and you have to have that head on occasionally when you're writing. If you want to stay in your bedroom, fine, but if you want to make it in the wider world, you've got to make something people want to buy. So a very cynical approach to pop music. And if we've learned anything from this chart, it's that record label cynicism nearly always pays off. But there are some people who like this song. It's certainly Scooch, not an amazing band, but certainly an improvement on the fast food song. And no less authority than Dr. Fox from Pepsi Chart Show gave it three Dr. Fox heads in Smash Hits, saying, I have a, a sneaking admiration for the fast food rockers because they are lovely and they understand that they had this joke record. The difficulty is always, what do you follow that up with? They will never say, I just want to be taken seriously. They're fun. Smash Hits replied to that. Call a doctor. A real one. Foxy's lost the plot. It's awful. Wow, Dr. F- Dr. Fox, not a real doctor? Next you'll be telling me that Judge Judy's not a real judge. Nothing makes sense in this world. To put that into context, by the way, Dr. Fox gave three stars to Smile Please by Fast Food Rockers, but one star to a song that is soon to define 2004, Khaleesi's Milkshake. 
He says, I hope the video is better than the song, that's all I have to say. And then Smash Hits adds, sounding very missy E. this isn't a patch on the fantastic court out there. With an album still to follow, here's hoping Khalees' trademark feistiness is returned instead of this copycat styly. Watch this space. Mm, how wrong they were, but we can get to Khalees next year. I'm very excited to do that. For now, we have another new entry to talk about at number nine, Texas, featuring Cardinal Official with Carnival Girl. <laughs> Yes, that is Texas, the blues and soul band, collaborating with the Raga MC Cardinal Official, often a Canadian rapper who is often called Canada's hip hop ambassador. An odd pairing, I'd say, but certainly not the first time that Texas has worked with hip hop legends. For their greatest hits album, they collaborated with the Wu Tang Clan to do a new version of Say What You Want. Just your host is he, Mr. H-O-T. And I get you get splashed with the tech. Nobody go to the guard, say so. You got a second or more to run for the dough. Before I blow back off the map, contact. You didn't know stack could get down like that. And when I get that feeling, I yeah, can no longer yeah. slide. Asked by the Guardian how she got involved with the Wu Tang clan, Charlene said, and remember she is Scottish, so it was said. It was <laughs> it was no, never mind. It was the same with the Wu-Tang. Our manager got talking to a couple of them in New York and then he told us they liked us. We're like, go back, see if they want to do something with us. The night we recorded the song, Old Dirty Bastard had just been arrested so Method Man had to write a whole new rap based on his idea that Scottish people were pirates. We all got chucked out of the studio and our manager in Glasgow got a call saying they were in there with guns and doing angel dust. I'm like, uh, none of that happened. It was a strange, weird, wonderful time and we continue our friendship. RZA told us we were brave to work with them and we're like, are you kidding? You're a major hip-hop crew, but you made a record with a band from Glasgow. Yeah, Texas, I think we see them as like a safe band, very Radio 2, very your mum's favourite band playing in the car. But they do often make some interesting choices of collaborators and Charlene Spiteri certainly seems like she doesn't suffer fools. One of her most famous confrontations that made a lot of news was her fight with Paris Hilton. She says, I was at a Vanity Fair party, water war with celebrities, and Paris Hilton wouldn't stop dancing on my mate's coat. So I filled a straw with liquid and blew my drink at her. We ended up nose to nose. Someone took a photo and it went all over the papers. I had to phone my mum to apologise, but everybody loved it. Taxi drivers beeped me going, you fucking tell her. So there we go. Charlene Spiteri fighting the good fight against Paris Hilton, but only getting to number nine here. But not the last we will see of Texas. They have two more top tens to come in their career. So we look forward to talking more about them. Hopefully I can hone my Scottish accent in time. Number eight now. S Club 8 with Sunday down and just something I wanted a great clip that I found last week but didn't have time to put in at the podcast here is what I believe is Frankie from S Club A outing Aaron from S Club A you guys who could do it Aaron because he's all that little mister dancer voice little mister dancing boy that's a euphemism if I've ever heard one anyway here's sundown down from four in its second week on the chart
S Club 8, a band that nobody has ever called the S Club 8 of New York. The Strokes, with their highest entry of their career so far, at number 7, here they are with 1251. Enemy named this single of the week this week. Let me tell you a little something about the strokes, they write. They're just so damnably perfect as a pop group that it can make all the other ones seem a little, well, extraneous, to tell you the truth. I mean, two of them have got curly hair and half of them are posh, but despite coming committing two of the all-time great pop crimes, still the world falls at their socks and sandaled feet to beg for the merest crumb from the corner of their beautiful mouths, the tiniest fleck of lint from their delicately haired belly buttons. Two long years have passed since Is This It blew up in our gawping faces, and it's sometimes easy to forget what a climactic change the strokes have affected. Like punk, like acid house, like grunge, the NYC Five Piece and the band's attitudes and ideals they propelled in their wake have, frankly, reinvented music as a whole. It's the year zero factor, and the imminent release of Room on Fire can only reinforce the feeling that the Strokes can do whatever the fuck they like right now, and we will love it. Thankfully, whatever the fuck they liked turned out to be making the album of the year. Anyway, their first taste, the first taste of Room on Fire, many people are going to get is the single 1251, but it doesn't want you to fall with love with fall in love with it on contact oh no that would just be way too easy instead it approaches you with a sideways impact julian's voice way down in the mix as per usual as he complains about friday nights a bit lonely and when you look close at the details you can see the real beauty in the half-hidden hand claps the counter melody guitar line you'll be humming in your sleep and fab's ringo like symbol abuse which sends the whole thing hurtling skyward two minutes 34 seconds down the line clocking in is one of the shortest tracks in the album and it's over not an ounce of fat on its bones god we've missed you boys I think that sounds like an overexcited fan hiding the fact that the production sounds muddy, it's too short, and it doesn't really have an immediate hook. But hey, I'm glad this guy was excited to have the Strokes back. At the time, the Strokes were also, of course, interviewed by Enemy, who said, when bands have conflicts, a lot of the time it's because they suck. So all they're, so all they're arguing about is this weird jealousy because they think other bands are better than them. So yeah, bands that argue apparently suck. So I will mention, implying nothing, that in 2020, the Strokes as part of their album campaign did a lot of talking about how there were huge fights within the band. Julian Casablanca's the lead singer says there was conflict and there was fear and we got through it and we made records but it wasn't you know out of pure brotherly love and musical inspiration. It wasn't, you know, out of pure brotherly love and musical inspiration. So that must be because there was all this weird jealousy because they think that other bands are better than them to use their own quotes against them. And what I love about this enemy feature, apart from the fact that they basically shade their future of selves, is that the interviewer clearly found their bassist one of the most boring people in the world. And rather than just not using any of his quotes, which would be mature journalistic practice, they gave him an entire sidebar of his like one word answers and very dismissive tone in which they say, Nikolai Frazier, the most opinionated bassist in the world, cuts loose on the burning issues of 2003. There's no holding him back. Some sample questions. Were you outraged by the recent ban on smoking in public places in New York? Answer, I don't smoke. Which one of the strokes do you think is handiest in a fight? Answer, it's not worth talking about. 
Would you let Kate Moss pole dance in her in your video? I doubt it. What's the biggest best Christmas present you've ever had? What's this got to do with music? I'll try and answer this as best I can. What's my best Christmas present? I can't think of that. Sorry, I don't know. Again, I just love that Enemy was able to do pretty much whatever the hell it liked in the 2000s when people were still buying it. Now it has to do advertorials for hair gel or whatever the hell Enemy does in 2023. So the Strokes at number seven, getting their first UK top 10. They have only one more UK top 10 in them. So Strokes fans, hold on to it while it lasts. They will get another one in December 2005. And with the Strokes at number seven, we only have one new entry left to try and beat the Black Eyed Peas. That is Beyonce featuring Sean Paul with Baby Boy. Let's see how far it could get by moving our way up the chart. At number six, down from five in its sixth week, White Flag by Dido. Number five down from three in its third week i believe in a thing called love by the darkness beyonce yet no at number four sweet dreams my lax by rachel stevens that's down from two in its fourth week and at number three superstar by jamelia we said it was gonna make its way to number three eventually and in its fourth week it has done so going up from number six which means we have just Baby Boy by Beyonce and Where Is The Love By The Black Eyed Peas still to go. Will Beyonce be able to get her second number one and stop the Black Eyed Peas from getting their sixth week at number one? No, she won't because she is here at number two. Dr. Fox gave this three fox heads in Smash Hits saying this year's Jarrell is Sean Paul. Every artist wants him on their record. The problem is he always sounds the same. We'll still be playing Crazy in Love long after this is gone, but it will do well because we all like Beyonce. Smash Hit says, too much Sean Paul? We can't get enough of him. This is top. Stick that in your pipe, Foxy. Of course, he did stick it in his pipe, and then that is, of course, how he choked to death. Very sad. No, he's still alive, alas. Fascinating time for Beyonce. Obviously, now in 2023, she keeps herself at a total remove, never does interviews unless she totally controls them, only occasionally releases music, but in 2003 she was just another pop star on a major label trying to have hits and so had to do every awkward interview segment there was. For example, she had to put up with questions like this from Smash Hits, be honest, is there anything that you can't do? And then we got an insight into the life of Beyonce. Okay, I'll admit it, I can't cook. It's a shame, I can't fry no chicken. When I was growing up, I was always in the studio, so I never had a kitchen. I had room service instead. When people hear that I'm from the South, they're like, ooh, let me come over to your house for dinner. And I'm like, nah, you don't want to do that. I tried to cook French fries once, but it was a disaster and I'd really rather not talk about it. Ha ha ha. That may be the last time that Beyonce ever laughed. So glad that Smash Hits got it on record. Don't forget that Beyonce was born in 1981 and the first Destiny's Child single came out in 1997. So she had really been doing this since she was 16. No time to learn to fry chicken, unfortunately. Among the awkward promotional opportunities she had to do in 2003 was spend time with Prince Charles. She sat in the VIP box with him at the party in the park. And apparently he told her that his sons had her album and that Prince William really fancied her. I'm thrilled, said Beyonce. Wills is very good looking. So clearly, Beyonce, many many things and many talents, but certainly not clairvoyant. Couldn't see what Prince William was going to become. I love Wales. And so Beyonce not able to stop Black Eyed Peas getting their sixth week at number one, becoming the longest serving number one for five years. 94,000 in the first week, 90,000 in the second week, 79,000, 70,000, 65,000, and now 55,000 thousand copies will anyone be able to beat them next week among those who are going to try are rem craig david sophie ellis bexter emma bunton 50 cent and the sugar babes so some big hitters i think 
that Black Eyed Peas are going to be knocked off that top spot finally. But you'll have to tune in next week to find out whether any of those can do it. For now, thank you again for listening. We had our most listened today on Sunday. So thank you to all of our former listeners, all our new listeners. Welcome. Hope that this is exactly your kind of brand of pop nonsense. If it is, please leave us a positive review. Follow us on Twitter at the 2000s chart, at 2000s chart show. Follow us on Instagram at the 2000s chart show and enjoy for another week. Maybe it's last. Where is the love by the Black Eyed Peas?